Our scripture reading for today is Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Listen now to the word of the Lord. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. The word of the Lord. The Lord be with you. Uh, pray with me. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for uh, this day that you have made. And once more, we would ask for your spirit to fill us, to speak to us, and in the hearing of your word, help us to be encouraged, to comforted, to be challenged. Let your word do its work in us so that we might be more conformed into the image of your Son, our Lord, Jesus Christ. For it is in his name we pray these things. Amen. Today is the uh, first in a series of Advent sermons, uh, which I've entitled The Fullness of Christmas. Uh, I realize it's the second week of sad, uh, Advent, but um, we'll have uh, a series on the uh, Advent, uh, four weeks of uh, sermons on this topic, The Fullness of Christmas. Uh, before the Christmas stories of the gospel <clears throat> of the gospels were written, before Luke tells us about the angelic choirs and shepherds and a baby in a manger, before Matthew tells us about the magi from the east who come bearing gifts, Paul tells us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Long before Christmas trees and jingle bells and happy holidays, this was the first Christmas proclamation. The fullness of time, God sent his son. Jesus, according to Paul, is the fulcrum of history. All of history had been building up to this moment, to the fullness of chronological time, to this kairos moment when God sent forth his son. The distinctively Christian understanding of history and of time is that it has a flow, a direction, a purpose that of God sending his son into this particular moment in time and space. In Mark's gospel, the very first thing that Jesus says is the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus understood that his birth, his incarnation, was not a random event. It was not an accident of gynecology. It was not a happy coincidence. It was not an afterthought nor plan B after the fall in the Garden of Eden. From the beginning, from before the beginning, before creation, before time and space, God chose this moment 
this fullness of time to send his son. Paul says that when Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law, which points to the fullness of humanity, which I'll get to in a couple of weeks. But notice here that Paul says that Jesus wasn't merely born at the precisely right moment. Paul says that Jesus was sent. He was sent by God at the right moment. We also read in 1 John 4, this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. God sent his son. We have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. There is clearly intentionality in what God is doing here. Ephesians 1, Paul further says that God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, <clears throat> things in heaven and things on earth. In fulfillment of all of God's promises, God chose this singular moment in history as a plan for the fulfillment of time to send his son. From Paul's perspective, this must have been, this timing must have been especially fortuitous. The three cultural streams of his life were especially aligned in this moment. The world was under the Roman peace, the Pax Romana, a time of relative peace, which meant that Paul could travel in relative safety on good Roman roads and that the gospel could be quickly dispersed throughout the Mediterranean basin. The world was also under a common language and a common culture thanks to the Greeks, and it made the proclamation of the gospel more easily understandable. In addition, the network of synagogues meant that Paul had already made audience and access to a people prime for the coming of the promised Messiah. So all of this is likely true, but the larger point that Paul is making is that God rules over history, that God is sovereign. It was a fullness of time because God determined that this would be the moment. That this would be the moment that God would send his son into the world. All of the biblical narrative from Genesis to Malachi is directed toward this moment. Beginning with the promise given to the serpent in Genesis 3. That one will come who will bruise you on the head. To Abraham and the promises made to his descendants that through him all the nations, all the families of the world would be blessed to the promises that were given to David that one of his descendants would be enthroned forever, to the prophets like Daniel who foresaw that the Messiah would come in the fourth kingdom after the Babylonians, Persians, and the Greeks. All of history culminates in God sending his son into this moment in the fullness of time. This was the hope of God's people, when all seemed lost, whether they were spending 400 years in slavery in Egypt or whether they were experiencing 400 years of silence after the last prophetic word in Malachi, when God seemed silent, God, in fact, had been waiting 
for this moment, for the fullness of time, for the fullness of time to send his son. Last Sunday, <clears throat> Pastor Eddie spoke about the seasons of life from Ecclesiastes 3, that there is a time for everything, right? That there is this season for everything and that God has made everything beautiful in its time. And then he shared this great story about how when you know the ending of a story, it changes how you look at everything that happened before. That's largely the lens through which we read the scriptures and particularly the Old Testament. That it anticipates the coming of Jesus Christ. Because we know the ending, that it culminates in the fullness of time and the sending of Jesus Christ, we can see clues, we can read the events and the characters in the Bible of how they foreshadow the one who is to come. Most recently, we saw this in the life, ministry, and even in the death of the prophet Elisha, clues about the coming of his namesake, Jesus. Um, my wife and I, <clears throat> as most of you know by now, we have a very different um, interests, um, and we have a very hard time finding uh, a TV show or a movie or a K-drama to watch together. Um, you know, she has things she likes, I have things I like, and very rarely do they uh, intersect. Well, recently, <clears throat> she and I saw a uh, Korean drama called The Light in Your Eyes, um, which had maybe one of, I mean, one of the, the best endings I've ever seen, and I, I don't want to give anything away here, um, but it begins as a sci-fi film, a time travel kind of thing, which is the kind of stuff I like, but then it goes into like a family drama, which is kind of stuff like she likes. And so we were both able to kind of watch it. But as I'm watching it, <clears throat> I kept complaining to her like every time, like, because the things that they were doing were just so wrong. I was so bothered by the plot holes, the way that it was, it just made me so angry that I kind of wanted to stop watching in the middle of it. But you know, like once you're committed after a few hours, like you have to uh, follow through. And, and I kept complaining about it. And um, at one point in the series, um, I, I even said to her, oh, now it's really jumped a shark. Because it went from sci-fi to family drama to like slapstick comedy. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, this is terrible, right? But then, but then, it had this ending. And everything made sense. And I was like, oh. I almost, I almost wanted to go back and rewatch the whole thing. Because all the clues I missed... It wasn't that good, but, you know. <laughs> but the ending made sense of everything that I've been complaining about. Because we know the ending, in hindsight, we can see that even all the sins, the scandals, the sufferings of the people of God, in hindsight, were all a part of this choreography of God. That they were all somehow a part of God's redemptive plans for the world when God would send Jesus in precisely this moment, in the fullness of time. The story of the Bible is God's revelation of his sovereignty over history, and it is meant to give us confidence in God. <clears throat> because God is in control, we can have assurance that what God has promised, God will deliver. And now, God sent his son, we see here, in the fullness of time, for a very clear purpose. Paul writes, it was in order... Here's the purpose, he says. It was in order to redeem those who were under the law so that 
we might receive adoption as sons. To redeem those who are under sin so that we might receive adoption. The birth of Jesus, the incarnation, was so that we might be redeemed. That is, we might be bought back. Not just those who are under the burden of the Mosaic law, but those who are also enslaved, the Gentiles, under the elementary principles of the world. Just like the Israelites who had been enslaved in Egypt, so we too, Paul says, have been enslaved by sin until faith came. Before faith came, he says, that is before Jesus came, we were held captive under the temporary guardianship of the law. But now that Jesus has come, we are no longer under the law. We have been freed, just like we sang. We have been freed. God sent his son to redeem us, which of course will happen later on the cross. Now, we, we want to separate Christmas with uh, Good Friday and Easter, but for Paul, they're, they're inseparable. It's like the song we just sang, What Child Is This? You cannot think of the child and the birth without looking ahead and seeing how that story ends on the cross and in the resurrection. Paul conflates, as it were, the story of his birth and his death in this one sort of breath, in this one moment, that God sending and redeeming and adopting is all part of one story. And he says, because we are sons, we are the children of God. And because of that, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts so that we cry out, Abba, Father. We have this double gift of Christmas. God sent his son into the world, but God has also sent his spirit, the spirit of Jesus, right? And here we see the, the, the triune God at work, the spirit of his son, Jesus, into our hearts. So it's not just this sort of uh, objective truth of the redemption on the cross, but Paul says it is this experiential truth that we have when the spirit of his son is in us so that we cry out, Abba, Father, as only the children of God can do, right? The, the ability to pray out, to say, Abba, Father, that is the evidence of the spirit of God in us. I don't know if you've had this experience or not, but um, <clears throat> maybe this was a thing from the 70s or 80s, I don't know. Um, I, have, I have friends um, that when they got married, their in-laws told them to call them by their first names. I don't know if anybody, no? Um, you know, they, their rationale was, you're married now, you're adults, we're adults, so we're all adults, so let's all call each other by our first names. Um, so I remember I would visit some of my friends after they got married, and their in-laws would be over, and because I'm an adult too now, because, you know, I was, what, 25 or whatever, um, you're an adult, so you need to call me Larry and Beverly, whatever, right? <clears throat> and I found that incredibly uncomfortable. Like, I, I, I couldn't do it. Like, no, Mr. Smith or whatever. Like, I, I just, I found that just incredibly awkward and, no, I can't do that. Um, but that's what they, you know, that's the way they want to relate. Um, and I can also remember when I first got married, I was told to call my in-laws uh, father and mother, right? I was supposed to call my parents uh, in my accented Korean, father and mother, abanim and amanim. Um, and I remember when I first, the first few times I tried to say it, it just felt so weird, like, you know, because it was, you know, Pastor Park, you know, and Mrs. Park, right? And, and, but 
now we're family, so you have to call them father and mother. And so <clears throat> now, <clears throat> decades later, I can't imagine, I can't imagine calling them anything else, right? And, and I think Paul is telling us something similar here. <clears throat> Just as I'm able to call my in-laws father and mother, signifying that the change in relationships, that's what Paul is telling us here, that the evidence of our changed relationship, the evidence of our sonship, of our daughtership, is that we get to call God in the most intimate way possible. Abba, Father, which is what Jesus called God. We, we get that same thing. We, as children now, we get to do the same thing. As Paul says, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is our new status before God, which God has made possible for us. Ephesians 1 reminds us that God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. In love, God predestined us for adoption. <laughs> Thank you. Sorry. God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, right? Before, I mean, you think about this, before the foundations of the world, before creation, before time, before space and time, God purposed to love us in Jesus Christ. From the very, very, very beginning, before the beginning, God predestined us for adoption. That was God's will. We, every one of us here, we are the adoptees of God. Jesus alone is the unique son of God, but the rest of us become the children of God through adoption. We become heirs of the promise through adoption. This is why God sent his son. This, this is the why of Christmas so that we might be redeemed and adopted as the children of God. Let me close with this. Uh, I think I probably have mentioned him uh, at some point over the years, uh, but Ray Bakke, Ray Bakke was uh, one of my favorite teachers. Uh, I never actually took a class with him, but uh, I've heard him speak on a number of occasions and uh, just really an absolutely great, great teacher. He gave a series of uh, lectures on church history um, when I was in um, grad school, um, before seminary, and that really radically changed the course of my life. <clears throat> um, those lectures uh, were instrumental in my decision, actually, to go to seminary and to study history, and in particular to study uh, uh, Martin Luther. Um, he died a couple of years ago. <clears throat> but right before he entered into hospice care, he gave, his <clears throat> he gave his last sermon as a guest preacher. <clears throat> and um, I just got a chance to listen to that sermon uh, this, this past week. And in that sermon, um, you know, most of it I'd already heard him talk about before. But in it, he shared a story that I had not heard before. And I want to share this story with you. 
he has a son. Well, he had uh, two sons and a daughter. He had one son uh, named Woody. And Woody uh, brought home a friend from school named Brian. And um, every time Brian would come over, uh, they, they would feed him. And uh, for a while, they, they just thought, man, this Brian kid, he's just, he's just hungry all the time. Like, this is a really, really hungry kid. Um, but it turned out that he was actually homeless, and that's why he was always so hungry. Um, so <clears throat> at one point, Brian um, told Ray, as a, when he was a kid, just nine years old, he told him, he told Ray, you know, when I was nine years old, he said, I used to go into the streets of Chicago. That's where they live. I used to go into the streets of Chicago looking for the pimp who looked like me because I wanted a daddy so bad. Right? I mean, can you imagine the, the, the pain of, of a child having to do something like that? Well, eventually the Debakis uh, went to court and they legally adopted Brian as their son. Now, the funny thing is, in addition to their son, Woody, the Bakis had another son named Brian. So now they've got Woody, Brian, and Brian. About a month after he moved into the house, Brian said to Ray and to his wife, Mom, Dad, I decided to follow Jesus tonight and become a Christian. I see how it works, Dad. You sent your son, Woody, into my world. He became my friend, and he brought me into his home. And because you love your son, you fed me, and then you adopted me. And because you love your son, you fed me, you adopted me, I see how it works. I see how it works. God sent Jesus into the world, and anybody who becomes a friend of Jesus gets adopted and becomes family. Anybody who becomes a friend of Jesus gets adopted and becomes family. I mean, isn't that exactly right? We're all adoptees, every one of us. But because of Jesus, right? It's because of Jesus. Because of him, we all get to be family. We all get to be the children of God. Not too long ago, a friend of mine remarked about how her husband uh, was really crushed when his father died. Um, he, he had grieved when his mother had died uh, a few years earlier, but when he lost his father, he was really, really, I mean, he was just really devastated. Uh, and, and she couldn't quite understand why he was so devastated. But it was, in his words, it was because <clears throat> he said of, of himself, now I'm an orphan. Now I'm an orphan. Somehow that, that sense of losing his other parent <clears throat> became much more profound for him. Not because he loved, you know, one parent more, but because he felt disconnected and unmoored in a way that he had not experienced before. Now all of us, even though uh, we may not have been orphans as, as children, if we live long enough, <clears throat> right, we're, we're, if we live long enough, we will all have that experience. And perhaps it won't be quite as emotionally painful as it was for him. But I want to tell you, you have been adopted. You will never be orphans. You will never be orphans. You have a father in heaven who loves you with an everlasting love, with a love that began from even before the beginning. 
This is why Paul wrote just a few verses earlier that there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither male nor female, neither slave nor free. It's not that our identities are obliterated or that it doesn't matter, but our identity markers are secondary, always secondary and irrelevant when it comes to our position before God. We are heirs, we are the children of God. We have been befriended by Jesus and adopted as sons and as daughters. That's the good news. That's the good news of great joy which shall be for all people. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you that for reasons beyond us, you chose to love us. That you sent your son into this world in the fullness of time to redeem us that we might be your daughters, your sons. So that we might cry out, Abba, Father. We thank you for adopting us secure and joyful in that knowledge. Help us to live as true heirs. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.